have your Bibles, would you please open up to Revelation chapter 3? Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 13, the Church of Philadelphia. We're going to be studying this fantastic church that Jesus addresses that is one of those exemplary churches that you would hope to be like as a church. Now, we know Philadelphia. Anybody has, has anybody ever traveled to Philly? Uh, I, I have a handful of times, and we know Philadelphia as the city in Pennsylvania, of course, you know, the home of the Philadelphia Phillies, if you're a baseball player, the Eagles, if you're a football player, 76ers, if you're a basketball fan. We also know Philadelphia for its cheesesteak and for Rocky Balboa and the Liberty Bell. But according to Jesus, he knows the church in Philadelphia as the faithful church. The church in Philadelphia is known for their faithfulness. The Philadelphian church is commonly referred to, and I'll say it again for the third time, referred to and known as the faithful church. Father, we ask now, Lord, as we look to your word, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church as we read of what you said to another church in Philadelphia. And so, Lord, we ask, God, that you would please be glorified tonight as we open your word, as we study it together. We ask that you would bless the children, Lord, that you would keep them safe. May they have a blessed time in their classes tonight. And we ask, Lord, for your blessings to be upon our church. Lord, we ask, uh, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to reflect you, to shine as a light in a dark world. And Lord, we ask for your blessings now in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. So I hope you know that, of course, uh, even though we're familiar with the Philadelphia in the United States of America, this is a different Philadelphia. This is the Philadelphia from which we get our city's name. But the city gained its name contextually in the scriptures tonight uh, from a man named Attalus II. His nickname was Philadelphos. And this is where the city uh, that we refer to or know as Philadelphia, that's the etymology, if you will, uh, for the city. This is the youngest of the seven cities that are addressed by Jesus that really were homes to the, the churches there. But Philadelphia was established as a base of missions work. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but not as you would think as the church. It was a missionary outpost for Hellenism or for Greek culture. It established, it was established to help spread Greek culture around the world. Uh, it also had in it the largest highway in the world as it bridged continents. It was like the, the pathway to the east, uh, from Europe to the east. So in a city that was established, ironically, to spread Greek culture to the world, Jesus established a church to spread the kingdom culture, if you will, uh, to, the word through, to the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I think of our church, uh, what a testimony to the faithfulness of the Lord at work in his people's lives. Uh, each of you here tonight represent the Lord. And as you're faithful to him, guess what? You're establishing for yourself a reputation of being faithful. To be known as someone that is faithful is someone that has established a reputation as being so. However, 
Maybe tonight you're not feeling too faithful to the Lord. Well, there's good news for you. And Paul's letter to Timothy, the second one, actually, he says in chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so anytime you have sinned or have not followed through with what you knew to be the Lord's directive for your life, you can find hope in the faithfulness of the Lord. And we're able to move forward because of him who is called faithful and true, Jesus. If you look at verse 7 of Revelation 3 tonight, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works, he says in verse 8. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. So these things says he who is holy, he who is true. The things that are said by the one known as holy and true should catch our attention, should cause us to stop and listen. Now, this description of Jesus can be overlooked in our English language to some degree. Uh, Faithful and true, uh, holy and true. Uh, In this original language of the Greeks, which the New Testament was written in, this word for true, actually, there's two separate Greek words that describe the word true. One is in order to differentiate between something that is true and false. The other is to differentiate between that which is true or a fake, the genuine or the counterfeit. This is the latter. The way that Jesus is describing himself is not in the true or false kind of descriptor. It's actually describing himself as not the fake, not the counterfeit. I am he who is true. Jesus, the genuine article, he is God. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, verse 6, and you know it well, but I'll read it for you. Christ Jesus, it says, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This word being here in the Greek language, and I'll read it for you because the definition, I think, is absolutely amazing. From Barclay, he says, this describes that which a man is in his very essence and which cannot be changed. It describes that part of a man which in any circumstance remains the same. So when you're looking at Jesus being he who is true, when you read this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi where he says being It means that he is the one. Now, some have looked at this passage and have declared that Jesus was not God. They said that Jesus ceased being God when he became a man. But for your own reference, and that's totally false, by the way, in the Greek language, there are two words to be aware of, of the English word form. Jesus being in the form from Philippians 2.6. This word is used to describe the essential form which never alters. It's important to note that this is not the word for form in the Greek language, which is schema, which is the outward form, listen to this, that changes from time to time, from circumstance to circumstance. So Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not Jesus and how he might be feeling today. It's not Jesus and what kind of mood is he in. He is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. That's part of the divine attribute of God is that he's immutable. He never changes. And so Jesus altered never his deity by time or by circumstance. So this inmost nature of God was expressed through Jesus. He was genuinely God, and he was the perfect, genuine article of manhood. And I feel like coming off Tuesday night, which we're having a great evening with the guys as we alternate, talking about biblical manhood, what it means to be a man after God's own heart. So Jesus, he's holy. He's not fake. Now, there are a lot of fakes out there. But Jesus has always been and will always be the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to get to heaven. So Jesus, here in Revelation 3, is holy and true. Now, on a practical note, for us here tonight, a great question to ask ourselves when making a decision or evaluating an action is to ask yourself, is this holy and is this true? Holiness and truthfulness are a great team in the life of the believer. When you're speaking the truth, when you're not living your truth, you're living God's truth. You know, I've said it before, and I think it's appropriate for tonight, that if your truth isn't God's truth, then it's Satan's lie. And that's it. I love that Jesus tells his church that he is the one that opens up the doors of opportunity. As I mentioned, the city Philadelphia was known as the gateway to the east, and it had tremendous opportunities uh, to be the conduit through which the gospel would be shared. So he who opens in verse 7, and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. If you're taking notes, can you jot down Isaiah 22, verses 21 through 22? This phrase, opens, and no one's and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens, is originally found in that scripture reference that I just gave you, Isaiah 22. Beginning in verse 21, it says, I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulders, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut, and no one shall open. This is speaking of God giving the king the power to admit and to exclude anyone at any time. From a messianic, prophetical standpoint, Jesus has the power to admit or to exclude, to open or to shut. He has the power over the keys and the doors of all things pertaining to life and to death. We already read of Jesus in Revelation 118, where Jesus says of himself, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now, when I read these things, it causes me to sit in awe. Wow, Lord. This should be one of those things that causes us to, to worship the Lord for who he is, the greatness of his might. I don't know if we truly understand the implications here. Jesus shuts doors that no one can open, and he opens doors that no one can shut. Jesus is not only, he not only has the power to unlock and to lock the doors, but guess what? He is the door. 
He said of himself in John 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the door to heaven, and he is also the key to unlock it. No one can unlock the gates to heaven but Jesus. He's the only key that fits the lock for that door, so to speak. And Jesus says in verse 8, back in your text tonight of Revelation 3, he says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So Jesus knows the works of the Philadelphian church, and he should, because he's God. As a steward in the house of the Lord, I do my best to know what's going on here at our church. But even more so, Jesus knows what's happening in his church. And he describes the church in Philadelphia as having little strength and an open door. Now, when you read that, it could kind of be a little bit of a knock. You might think, well, man, you're just saying that they're weak, or, or what is actually being communicated here? Well, having little strength is actually not a knock on them, but a carefully placed acknowledgement that real strength comes from Jesus. Sometimes we can be a little too strong for the Lord to help us. We can be a little too confident in ourselves, to have confidence in the Lord. We can rely a bit too much on our resources that we don't rely upon the Lord to provide. Jesus told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, Jesus said, is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul replied to Jesus saying that his strength was made perfect in his weakness. And he says this, therefore, because of that fact, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And tonight for each of us, you seated right there in your chair, which by the way, is so much more comfortable than those chairs on Sunday mornings that are for the junior high size kids. Boy, God has a great blessing for all of you who have attended Sundays there for so long. But what a blessing to come and sit in your own church chair. Thank you, Lord. But if we acknowledge that we don't have the ability or don't have the strength, we'll see with our very eyes, with our very eyes, the overwhelming power and provision of the Lord at work in us and then through us. I would rather be a church of little strength with an open door that relies upon the Lord than have a facade of human strength not relying upon Jesus. This was the church in Philadelphia. They were a church that relied upon the Lord and in so doing, they kept his word and they didn't deny his name. In light of what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 32 through 33, which says, therefore, Whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So what a great report that you get back from Jesus that you did not deny his name. Jesus said, you confess me before my father, uh, before men, I'll confess you before my father in heaven. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father in heaven. And so in light of that, what a, what a great report. You have little strength, but you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. And we see from history 
that Philadelphia, though it was the center of Hellenistic evangelism, Jesus had given them an open door for gospel evangelism. Right there. I know your works. I've given you a great open door. No one can open that door for you. And if I open that door for you, guess what? No one can shut it. That's why when we read in the Bible, if God's for me, who can be against me? We take hope in the Lord. It doesn't matter what may come against us because if God has given me an open door, I will step through it and no one's going to do anything about it. If God shuts that door, then he has a different path for me to walk on. And if he led me to a door that I felt that this was my, my path, and he says, no, this time has come to an end. I need you to go in this direction. Then may I be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so this verse, Revelation 3.8, just kind of on a personal note, this is very dear to my heart because this was the verse that the Lord spoke to me before any of this became reality here at our Bake campus. I was sitting at a Starbucks by my house uh, studying uh, because for nine years I haven't had an office. I've worked out of my house and, you know, in my bedroom. And it's one thing when you have to go to go to sleep at work every single night, you know. And, and I finally, you know, uh, later on down the road was able to, to have a, a workspace. But I remember sitting, sitting there, it was in November actually of uh, 2022, and I was working and I was reading this passage of Scripture, and we had no idea what the Lord was going to be doing because uh, I had driven by this place a number of times, probably <laughs> dozens of times. And uh, our, our broker who fellowships at our church said, hey, what about this building on Bake? You know, there's a church that's moving out and there's kind of this interesting situation. And I was like, no way. Have you seen the size of that building? That's not our size. It's way too big. And I dismissed it. And months went by. And uh, I'm sitting there at that Starbucks and the Lord just spoke to me. And I remember, you know, just hearing from the Lord, you know, you guys have been given an open door. You have little strength. You know, we're not, we're not a mega church. We've been praying for a church building for nine years. This verse resonated with me. You know, you have little strength, but you have kept my word and you have not denied my name by God's grace. And so, lo and behold, a church that started with absolutely nothing, a handful of people, we have been given like this amazing opportunity that there was really no possible way that this should have ever happened. You are sitting in something that directly describes the Lord opening a door which no one else could have opened, and that's why he receives all the glory. What a tremendously blessed group of people we are to be able to live out in real time and to participate in walking through the open door that God has given us. When you drive up to this place, you're kind of like, what in the world? Wow, the Lord opened the door for us. And he gave us a great opportunity to have a base of operations to reach this community with the gospel, to be able to preach the word of God, to be able to minister to the body of Christ, to be able to reach out to those who are lost. 
I mean, we still have kept that name vision. We still have a vision for our city, the city of Irvine. And now we're right on the border of Lake Forest. And there's such tremendous opportunities. If you look at where we're located, off of the freeway, on a main street, I mean, it's a blessing from the Lord. You can never have ever done this for ourselves. We could never have done it. And so I'm hoping that as we continue to move forward, that we realize that this isn't just some random, oh, what are the chances? This is a direct work of the Lord, opening a door. And then now it's our job to be able to steward this and say, Lord, you've given us this great opportunity. Even as that church in Philadelphia had been given this great opportunity, an open door to preach the gospel, to minister to their city, we have been given the same. From David Guzik's commentary, he quotes someone actually that I've recently been uh, introduced to. I'm getting to know him a little bit more, and I'm really enjoying his writings. His name is Pastor Vance Havner. He says this, and I quote, God opens doors for ministry and ministers today. I would like to bear witness that I have proved this Philadelphian promise of the open door through years of ministry, and it has never failed. Promotion does not come from the south, east, or west, but from God. And if we commit our way unto him and trust him, he will bring it to pass. God's man is not dependent on religious talent scouts, nor is his ministry in the hand of ecclesiastical officials. His headquarters is heaven and his itinerary is made up. His itinerary is made up by the Lord of the open door. End of quote. This is the life that we live. We serve the God who opens doors which no man can shut and shuts doors which no man can open. We each need to take ownership of what God has entrusted us with. To not take it for granted. To not say, oh, you know, this is great. Oh, it's nice. Oh, wonderful. And then not do what God's called us to do. We have an open door. Are we stepping through it? I wonder what open doors the Lord's put in front of you. Are you stepping through them? Or are you hesitant? Are you, oh, I don't know if I really want to invest the time and effort into, you know, what God's calling me to do. Or, you know, maybe you're wrestling with what you should be doing or should not be doing. And you're not realizing that God is the one that has already gone before you and prepared your way. Because as the church... We're called to love one another, not just a, a brotherly love, but a supernatural, unconditional love. Because Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And he doesn't just stop there. He says, I command that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And we can display the love of the Lord in so many ways, you know, from maybe a phone call to check in to a, a truck that's available to help somebody move, a nice text, you know, being available to talk or to pray. We can display the love of the Lord to our brothers and sisters in Christ because love for our brothers and sisters, the church, it's to be found in every Christian. 
You know, it's unfortunate how unloving we can be towards our family members in the Lord. Maybe as a spiritual checkup for each of our lives, if your love for a brother or sister has exited your life, sin has entered it. We know this to be true by how we treat them, how we speak ill of them or gossip about them or give attitudes or are unloving or unkind. These things ought not to be so. And if we find that we're in a place where that's how we are interacting with somebody that is a brother or sister in Christ, we need to really evaluate where we're at. It's very easy to fall into that. The flesh wants you to be against your brother or sister in Christ so that you no longer realize that you're on the same team. Because when we as a church, if one of us loses, we're all losing. If one of us is hurting, we're all hurting. And it's easy to turn against each other instead of to link arms with each other. But not only is that love to be displayed to the church, from the church, the love from the Lord is also to be displayed to the world around us. Do I love people enough to tell them the truth in love? Do we love people enough to make a stand for righteousness and holiness, or do we just kind of go with the flow and I don't want to ruffle any feathers or cause any ripples? Do we love people enough to love those that do not act in love towards us? That's a tough one, isn't it? Do we have the love of the Lord in our hearts on display when we share the gospel with those that are without hope and those that are hurting? Now listen, I don't need to have you raise your hand, but just ask yourself this question honestly and then answer it honestly. Don't lie to yourself. It's particularly wrong when you're in church and you're lying to yourself. Don't do that. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When was the last time that you invited somebody to church? When was the last time that you were the Lord's ambassador to minister to somebody that was in need? Jesus gave the church in Philadelphia an open door for ministry that no one could shut. The Lord opens up now doors for you, which no man can shut. The Lord has given us as a church. It's almost like this rebirth again where the Lord's given us opportunities. He's given you opportunities, us collectively as a church. Think of all the things that the Lord has done on a personal note in your life and the open doors that he's given you. Wow, Lord, it's amazing how that worked out. Wow, Lord, you have given me a lot of open doors, some great opportunities. Lord, I don't even know how this just fell in my lap. But also in hindsight, how thankful are we for the doors that he closed (laughs) and that we weren't able to open, not even kick open. And we try to bang that door down. And the Lord's like, nope, it's not happening. You need to get over that. I know what's best for you. This is a no. Now move on. And then, you know, later on down our life, you know, you know on our journey, we find out sooner or later, well, Lord, you were right again. You have a perfect track record. So here we see the Philadelphian church had an open door, but had little strength. They were not a large or massively strong church, it would appear from the outside, but they were a faithful one. 
often in our own lives, we look at the size of the impact that we have or are having in order to evaluate our worth when it really only comes down to one thing, our faithfulness. Especially in the social media age, we're always, you know, we we have so many metrics. I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, you have metrics for everything. Uh, I mean, you have the most random stats for sports, you know, and you're watching, you know, we got, uh, you know, the NBA finals coming up here. And, you know, well, you know, for anybody that's like 39 years old and eight months and 16, you know, days, they're the oldest person to play the third quarter and sprain their ankle and make a free throw. You know, like, how do you even come up with that data? And we have metrics for everything. You know, especially with social media and you can, if you do a sponsored post or if you're a social media influencer and you're a business and you're watching, hey, you had this many interactions, this is up 150% from your last post or whatever it might be. And so we often in our own lives make this grave mistake of evaluating our worth by the impact or perceived impact that we think that we're having. When really, again, it only comes down to one thing your faithfulness to the Lord. This is so important for all of us to understand this one thing. And it's this, if God calls you, if he gives you an open door, he will provide, he will provide all the things that are needed for you to achieve what he has determined for you to do. Often you look at the Gravity. You look at the enormity of, of the situation or decisions that you need to make to honor the Lord, and we're like, I don't know if I can do this. This is so far beyond me. Well, that's actually a really good place to be as a follower of Jesus. You are in a sweet spot. When you can step into something knowing that God has opened a door for you that you could not open for yourself, and that in order to accomplish what happens after you step through that door is so outside of your skill set or your ability, you are in a sweet spot with your relationship with the Lord. There is a supernatural peace which surpasses all understanding guarding your heart and guarding your mind because you are being obedient and just being faithful to the Lord. The danger is that sometimes as we take that step of faith, as we step through an open door, we can think because we don't see any immediate fruit from our investment that God is not at work. I mean, again, our ROI. You know, so often you hear about the return on investment, return on investment. Well, I've done this much for the Lord and I'm not seeing the kind of return that I was looking for. So, you know, maybe this is done. Sometimes we can allow our lack of faith to act as a denial of our faith, so to speak, meaning that when it comes down to the real life application of our faith, we just don't follow through. I don't act. I don't step forward. You know, you, you can, you know, if you're a baseball player and, and you're, a, you're a hitter and you're at, at, you know, at the plate, someone could just lob one up for you. Like, man, what are you waiting for? The thing's just floating in the air for like 10 seconds. Just knock it out of the park. You know, in basketball, somebody gives you a good pass and you're wide, there for the wide open layup and you just don't follow through. Often we can just be our greatest enemies where we just don't take that step. The Lord's like, here it is, you know, gigantic open door. There's flags and bells going off like this is from me for you. Go. And we don't follow through. Can God do this? 
Well, he can do all things, so start acting like it. Additionally, there is this misconception that a man can hinder God's plan for someone else. And this is something that really impacts Christians in a serious way. It did me until I realized who God was. How many of you, and you don't need to raise your hands, but just kind of food for thought tonight, how many of you have ever said something to the effect, you know, this guy did me wrong, or he backstabbed me, he took my position, the boss mistreated me, overlooked me, this guy ruined my career, this coach didn't give me enough playing time, it cost me the scholarship, a million other scenarios can be played out. Listen to what I'm about to say. No one can hinder God's plan for your life. God opens doors that no one can shut, and he shuts doors that no one can open. And if you look back and think, oh, man, that guy just ruined my whole life. No, 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 no. You're giving that guy too much credit. If you're a follower of the Lord, and you're walking in obedience to him, and you don't get the position that you thought that you wanted or deserved, or maybe you were even the better person for that position, and you're saying, Lord, I'm here to serve you. I want to be obedient. I want to be faithful. And he says, no, this door is shut. Are you going to trust him? Because your alternative is to play the victim card the rest of your life and say, yeah, you know, I should have gone pro You know, oh, yeah, I should have been managing this by now. Or, oh, yeah, I should have done this and that, but this guy did this and did. Listen, you think that that's greater than God's plan for you? If God shuts the door, it's shut. And you're going to thank him for that one day. And it might even be a better idea to thank him in faith when you don't understand it, because that's truly faith there where you're saying, Lord, I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm even hurt by this and I'm confused by this. But Lord, I still trust in you. You open doors which no man shuts and you shut doors that no man opens. And if you shut the door, Lord, I don't want to go through it anyway. And in verse 9, he says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. So in contrast, just staying with the flow of this particular passage of Scripture, the contrast to Jesus being true and not fake, we see these Jews who are not truly governed by God, but lie. Now, Israel means governed by God. Not all who say they are Israel are truly of Israel. Now, this is not speaking of all Jews as being of the synagogue of Satan, but these particular ones that persecuted the Christians in Philadelphia. Because it doesn't matter if you're, what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. You know people by their fruit. You know people by what they do, not just by what they say. But what's interesting about this particular passage of Scripture is this is the same spirit of the Antichrist that will be embodied when the Antichrist leads the Jews in the rebuilding of their temple. That's coming. And we know that at that moment that the temple is rebuilt on the Temple Mount, there in the city of Jerusalem, we know that the Antichrist, who has brought peace to the world and solved all of its problems, supposedly, will declare himself to be God. The synagogue, the temple of Satan, 
himself literally. But what I love about verse 9, as evil as evil can be, and as ominous as those that are lying and attacking you can be felt, what I love about verse 9 particularly is that Jesus is the church's defense. On a personal note, Jesus is your defense. History has shown that in the end, it goes poorly for the wicked and well for the righteous. And there are no exceptions to that rule. I've seen this happen in more ways than just one. When the Lord defends you in such a way that even in your wildest dreams, you could never have come up with the complete and total setting of the record straight by God. I mean, I've had things that I didn't even know that I needed protection from. And the Lord had protected me, and I found out after the fact. And I'm like, wow, Lord, you truly are my shield. You truly are the one who watches over me and my family. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I heard the story about that. I couldn't have even planned that better myself. That's amazing, Lord. So it taught me, Lord, you be my defense. Lord, you be the one that handles those things. I don't need to go around putting fires out all the time and trying to defend this, that, and the other thing. The enemy loves to stir the pot. He loves to attack you. He loves to consume your thoughts with the worries of what if that and what if this, and they're saying this and they're saying that. Who cares? You don't play in that sandbox. You serve the Lord. You step through the doors he opens and you veer from the ones that he closes. But in 2 Timothy 2.19... I like this as well. It says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. You know what the seal is? The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And we see this evident in the church in Philadelphia. In verse 10, it says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And things are going to start to get a little interesting as we move into chapter four and through the rest of Revelation. Uh, This has been the easy stuff. Uh, We're going to really, really cover some exciting things in uh, our study through Revelation. But perseverance is a very unique attribute for you to own for yourself. It can be defined as persistence in doing something despite difficulties, obstacles, or discouragements. Now, because of their perseverance, past tense, in persecution, in keeping God's word and not denying his name, he would keep them future tense from the hour of trial or tribulation that would come upon the world to test those who If you're reading your Bible, look at the phrase, those who dwell on the earth. Those that are referred to as those who dwell on the earth are referred to as such nine times in the book of Revelation. And they always, each time, refer to those who do not believe in Jesus. The Christian's life is in Christ. And our dwelling place is not on earth. We are passing through. We are pilgrims in a foreign land. For we are going to finally, at some point, arrive at our permanent residence, which is in heaven. And Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. When Jesus comes, it's going to be quick. 
There'll be no time for getting your life ready once Jesus comes. Secondly, the Philadelphian church held fast to Jesus. You remember, they kept his word. They did not deny his name. And the encouragement from Jesus is for them to continue doing so. If you are keeping the word, if you are not denying his name, if you are recognizing that you have a little strength and that you need the Lord's strength made perfect in your weakness, then continue to do so. You don't want your crown given to another. So hold fast to what you have. In verse 12, it says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, for those who would overcome, God would make them a pillar in the temple. The pillar held the building up. The pillar was connected directly to the foundation. There is no other foundation that can be laid than that, which is Jesus. Going out no more speaks of stability. It speaks of a permanent residence in the new kingdom and the new earth. Now, what's interesting According to history, this is, this is a, an extra biblical text, meaning that it's not canon of scripture. It's just a history book where they read that in this particular city, it was not uncommon to have in their temples the names etched of the sons of notable uh, uh, people or, or sons of their kids, their boys that did things, their children that did, you know, tremendous and unique things. They would etch them on the pillars in the temple. And so those that would be living in Philadelphia at this time would be able to understand something very unique about being, uh, being made a pillar in the house of God and having that new name written upon it, the name that's above every other name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and that will be imprinted on you, the new name. What a blessing. And so I pray that we'd be faithful I hope that you continue to be faithful in your relationship with the Lord because that's what he's called us to do. That's, what, that's his plan for our church. And so let's go ahead and close with prayer tonight and let's ask that the Lord would just fill us afresh with his spirit, that he would strengthen us in our weaknesses and that he would help us to be a faithful church. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings, your provision. And Lord, I ask that we would never think of ourselves as too strong or so strong that we would not be reliant upon your strength. I ask, Lord, that you would never allow, allow us to get to that place where we do not rely upon you, Lord, for your provision. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. Lord, I know that you've given us a tremendous opportunity. And Lord, you've given each of us doors of opportunity to minister to those around us. You've given us, Lord, such a great privilege to be called your sons and your daughters. And so, Lord, I ask that we would not live with a spirit of fear or timidity, Lord, because that doesn't come from you. You've given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. 
And so, Lord, I pray that when you present open doors for evangelism, that we would step through it. I pray, Lord, that when you bring those people across our path that we can minister to, that we would open our mouth and minister to them. I pray, Lord, for even just something as simple as inviting someone to church. Lord, we see that even the statistics are so high, over 80%, Lord, I've seen that if somebody is personally invited to church, they'll come with them. And so, Lord, I ask that we would be your hands and your feet. We would be your ambassadors. We would be your faithful church. Lord, that we would recognize what a tremendous opportunity you have given us, Lord, to be alive at this particular point in history. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided a place for us to come and worship you and study your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have opened up a door which no man can shut. And so, Lord, I pray that in light of these things, we would be found faithful stewards. In light of what you have done for us, Lord, that we would be those that take what you have given us and seek to maximize it. Double it, triple it, quadruple it. Lord, whatever it may be, you give us one, we bring back two. You give us five, we bring back 10. Lord, I ask that we would be doers of your word, not just hearers also. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us afresh with your spirit tonight. I pray for those that might have found themselves in an unfaithful place, Lord, with you. Maybe they have recognized there have been some things that they didn't capitalize on or they didn't step through doors that you opened. Thank you that your grace is greater than any of our mistakes. Lord, I pray for those that have been living with maybe a chip on their shoulder because of something that had been done in their past. I pray that they would be reminded tonight that you make all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. I pray for those that may have had a door slam in their face and they don't understand it and maybe they're wrestling with how this could happen to them. I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen their faith, that they would know that when you open it, they'll step through it. You love them so much to even shut doors so that they don't go through them. May they not seek to try to kick that door down. And so, Lord, tonight, as we close with worship, Lord, as we lift up our voices and sing, I pray that you would impress upon each of our hearts somebody that we can invite to church. I ask even right now by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would speak to your sons and daughters' hearts and say this person, that person, that they would just see their face right in front of their eyes, Lord, and just be like, that's the person they need to start praying for. That's the person that they need to invite to church. It's not somebody else's job. It's the Christian's job. There are a lot of hurting people And God has given us the tremendous opportunity to minister, to pray for, to share with, to invite. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that as these here tonight go back home, as they go back to their own mission field, whether it's their neighborhood, their school, their job, their family, I pray, Lord, that you would use them in tremendous ways. May they not be fearful. May they not worry about what they can say, what they should say, how it should be said. Lord, you will fill their mouth when they need to speak. 
And maybe it could be just simply something like, I'd like to invite you to church with me. Would you like to come? And Lord, we never know what great things you have in store for those that take that small little step of faith and obedience to you. And so Lord, fill us afresh with your spirit. We thank you for all of your blessings. Thank you for your word, which says, even if we're faithless, you remain faithful. You cannot deny yourself. You are he who is holy and you are he who is true. And we worship you now in Jesus name and all God's people say, amen. Let's stand. If you need prayer for anything, as was announced, our prayer team is available in the lobby. Just as you are leaving, you go to the right. Pastor Jonathan and the team will be available for you uh, to pray over anything that you might need. So may the Lord bless you tonight and may you have a great rest of your week and I'll see you on Sunday. God bless you.